The first reading today is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. This can be found on page 1216. Page 1216. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed honestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The second reading is taken from John chapter 1, starting at the first verse, and this can be found on page 1061 of the Church Bibles. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, good morning again, and thank you, Paloma, thank you, Pat, for that reading. Hope everyone's well, and it's the first Sunday of Advent. Isn't that exciting? Who's, ex- who's excited about that? Yeah? Yeah, it's a great weekend, isn't it? We actually uh, began uh, the celebrations yesterday. We went to Camberley High Street to see uh, the Christmas parade. I'd never been to that before, so I was, wasn't quite sure what to expect, you know, whether it would be a nativity scene or something like that, and some some Christmas music. Uh, what, in fact, we got was rather nice, but uh, 
was the sound of bagpipes, <laughs> which gave it a somewhat more Scottish feel than I was expecting. And, perhaps, and then it was Santa who followed with an elf, uh, led not by reindeer, but by large white horses. He'd obviously got waylaid somewhere uh, between Lapland and the Shetland Isles. And uh, it was rather nice. I like bagpipes. And then uh, the Lord Mayor and various others came, and a lot of children were out there having fun. Um, yesterday also, West Ham, remarkably, <laughs> won 3-0 away from home. <laughs> and that never happens. And it was in Newcastle. They normally get a nosebleed north of Watford Gap. So <laughs> I'm not going to mention what happened last week, though. Uh, Jeff Andrew being at the front of church, I wouldn't give him that pleasure. Um, but the, su- the pleasant surprises go on. Hugo Porter has only been gone from, to London a few months, and he's come back with a wonderful girlfriend. <laughs> that never worked for me, Hugo. What's the secret? <laughs> so um, do feel free to quiz her afterwards and find out how much she's being paid. And uh, <laughs> I know he can take it, though, right? Kat, I'm not going to make any jokes, but it's nice to see you with a plus one as well. Excellent. So all is well. It's an exciting week. And more seriously, we have got Christmas coming. We have got the saviour of the world coming. And uh, I'm excited about that. So it's just such a shame I'm going to ruin it by preaching a sermon on confession. But actually, as I was preparing this, thinking, I'm not sure I want to preach on confession. Actually, I felt that God gave me a sense in which actually Advent and the coming of the light of the world actually does fit in with this spiritual discipline of confession, which though we acknowledge it might have a place, we're somewhat reluctant to embrace in our lives. And actually it was this passage that is going to come on the screen now, which God gave to me, which really brings the two things together. And it it serves as... John's conclusion about Jesus, the light of the world, and people's response to him. And it really focuses the mind. There's a fly behind me. It's a wasp. I, I put an aftershave this morning. That was clearly a mistake. So, Okay, okay well, if it, if it stays here, Claire will, will chase after it and sort it out. So that's, that's good. She's tall. She can reach sort of the further places. Excellent. Well, don't let that distract you. Let's instead read these words of John, which I have to say carry a bit more of a punch than your standard Christmas reading or sermon. So here it is. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And I think the challenge that this passage gives us is it's not just about salvation. Of course it includes it, and that's the most obvious journey from spiritual darkness to light, isn't it? Conversion, putting our faith in Jesus for the first time. Yet the application is surely broader because we all still sin, don't we? And so it leaves us with a daily choice. Are we embracing the light intentionally and publicly coming into it so that others can see plainly our heart and our intent? Or are we in fact hiding in a darker place where our lives and our heart are obscured? 
So this is a sermon about revelation, which is what that light metaphor is all about, what it really means. Do we embrace the truth of the gospel so it sets us free? And do we allow the light to shine brightly in us, drawing others to him as Jesus called us to as lights of the world? Or do we in fact hold back from God and hold back from others, maintaining a pretense, wearing a mask, so that the light in us actually just shines dimly and is hidden under a bushel of pride? That's the challenge that this passage brings, this Advent time. But more explicitly, it's about confession that I want to talk about, which will include confession to others and not just to God. And that's going to take many of us beyond our comfort zone, including me. And yet the more I've read about it, the more convinced I became that it's vital for the health of the church, as well as the mental and spiritual health of each of us as individuals. British Reserve, to be honest, is not helpful here. It simply stops us being real. And so what I want to unpack today are the essentials around confession, First of all, why should we do it? Secondly, how do we do it? And third, what are the benefits to us as individuals, to us as a church, and indeed for the world? So let's pray. Let's pray that God uses it, that he grows in us as individuals a more authentic faith, because this is what it's all about. Because a church like that will change people. It will have a vibrancy and it will have a power Because it's grounded in reality, not pretense. Okay, so let's pray that God would do that. Father, we come before you with hesitation. Because we know by nature we hold back. We know by nature we share of ourselves very carefully, hesitantly. We know by nature we sometimes put on a front, wear a mask, allow our desire to be seen as successful, as conventional, to trump that calling you gave us to be real. And Lord, we pray that you would speak truth into us, that you would bring revelation to us of things you want to change and give us the confidence to allow revelation of our lives, to allow others to see plainly that the transformation is in us is done through your power, not our own. So, Lord, we want to be radiant lights. We want to be witnesses. We want to be authentic. And please, please, Father, by your Spirit, come now, Holy Spirit, speak to us, fill us, and make us new this Advent time. Amen. Okay, so on with the sermon and on with the first reason for embracing confession. And that's this. It's because of who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus. And I want to use as my starting point another verse from John chapter 3, which is even more familiar than the one we just heard read. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have 
eternal life. The great summary verse of the gospel. And it's a conviction about the love of God that is absolutely essential as a starting point in thinking about confession. Love, not anger, brought Jesus to the cross. It came out of God's great desire to forgive, not his reluctance. And so 1 John 1, 1 verse 9 can tell us with absolute certainty that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we want to have a full appreciation of what confession can bring, we need to have also a deeper appreciation of all that the cross achieved. And the reality is that Jesus knew by his sacrifice on the cross that he could actually absorb all the evil of humanity and so heal it and forgive it and redeem it. He succeeded in taking into himself all the dark powers of this world, past, present and future. And he defeated every one of them by the light of his presence. He accomplished such a total identification with the sin of the human race that he actually experienced the abandonment of God. That was the horror of it for Jesus. That was the worst moment. But it was the decisive moment too. And then at the end of it, he could feel the last dregs of the misery of humankind flow through him and into the care of the Father. The last twinges of evil, hostility and anger and fear drained out of him. And then at last he was able to turn again into the light of God's presence. It is finished, he cried out. And so at last he could breathe his last and give up his spirit to his father. And I say all that because what Jesus achieved in totality in redeeming humanity, he can also do for us individually through confession. Without the cross, the discipline of confession would only be psychologically therapeutic. But with it, confession becomes the means through which our inner spirit with all the evil and sin and anxiety and fear and all the other negative emotions that are in it, can be healed and redeemed and transformed. This is the inner healing that is beyond conversion and that we need to go on seeking and receiving. For the Bible views salvation not as just one event, when we move from death to life, wonderful though that is, it views us as something that needs to go on happening every day of our lives. And so Paul, Philippians 2 verse 12, urged us all to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now I don't know what fear and trembling mean to you. Actually in this sense it's not about that sort of horror as someone's about to kill us or something like that or or whatever might be horrific to you. But it is about a godly awe and reverence to God that does fear him because he is holy, but also knows that he loves us and welcomes us. And if we turn with our heart to him, he will forgive us. So, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling... We need a godly fear of the holiness of God. 
And that shouldn't just be an emotion at the moment of conversion. It needs to be a daily feature of our work, our walk with him. Now, what if we don't have fear and trembling? I know many of us won't. We naturally lose it. We don't look for it enough. And one reason is because we don't take the opportunity to pause and actually consider the seriousness of our sin. Consider this. The more people grow closer to Jesus, the more aware they become of their sin. That's a reality. When you meet someone who is really, really close to Jesus, the thing you'll often be struck with is how humble they are, how aware they are of their sin, and how in fear of God, in that positive biblical sense, they are. And we need to take that time to dwell on the seriousness of sin as well as the wonder of Advent and Christmas. Almost certainly, we take our offences to the love of God too lightly. And the truth is, if only we had a tinge of the sense of revulsion that God feels towards sin, we would be moved to holier living. Jeremiah 44 verse 4 says this in these really moving words. God pleads with mankind, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. That's what sin is to God. Now, I know that's in the Old Testament, but let's remember God hasn't changed. He doesn't change. And actually, Jesus had some pretty strong things to say to the religious people of his day who didn't practice what they preached. Is there any reason why he wouldn't be just as critical of us? Jesus looked straight into people's hearts. If he looked into mine or yours, what would he see? And let's be clear too that the Bible likewise sees confession as both a public and a private matter. So, just to illustrate that, on the private aspect, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And that's fantastic news because it meant we no longer needed a high priest as an intermediary. And yet in the other passage we heard read from James 5, we're told to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. So, we've got to hold those two things together, our right to go directly to the Father and yet also the command to confess to each other. So why don't we do it? At least why don't we confess to each other? Well, I think there are a number of reasons, one of which is that we all too often see the believing community in our church as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. We feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we feel isolated and alone in our sin. And so desperate not to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others, we hide ourselves, we maintain a pretense. Pride naturally also plays a part. The desire to appear sorted and successful too often trumps the desire to be real. But here's the sad thing, folks. In doing so, we actually deprive ourselves of something wonderful. For listen to the alternative. If we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, which the truth is we are, we're all sinners, We're free to hear the unconditional call of God's love to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters 
And then we know that we are not alone in our sin. Actually, no one is any further ahead than us. We're all in the same boat. We're sinners together. And in acts of mutual confession, we then release the power that heals. Our humanity is then not being denied. It's being transformed. And let's be clear, the followers of Jesus Christ have been given the authority to receive the confession of sin and to forgive it in his name. John 20 verse 23 tells us, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. Now that verse is often debated, but I don't personally think it means God forgives people because we do. But what I do think it means is this. It's saying that we can speak the forgiveness of God to each other. Because if the repentance of someone who's repenting in front of us is genuine, well then forgiveness is a given. That's what the Bible tells us. And hearing the forgiveness pronounced to us by another is such a help in believing and absorbing it. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died at the hands of the Nazis, wrote this. Our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sin in Christ's stead and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother or sister to confess, I am going to God. None of which is to to devalue the value of private confession. That is between us and God. That was one of the great... uh, one of the great rediscoveries of the Reformation is that we could do that. We can go directly to God and it brought a real revival in personal piety. And it's certainly possible to experience forgiveness and release from persistent nagging habits of sin through private confession between us and God. But the truth is on many occasions, for many people, it doesn't work. Because sometimes we simply need the presence of another to hear the confession and to speak out our forgiveness, as well as to bring some accountability around how we respond to it. Bonhoeffer again said this, A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone in himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother or sister, the sin has to be brought into the light. To repeat the point I made at the beginning, Jesus is the light of the world. He's coming. But will you let him bring light to your world in every area of your lives? And the good news is you don't have to go to a priest to do this. Or rather you do, but we are all priests. 1 Peter's description of Christians as chosen people, a royal priesthood, makes that clear. It's the priesthood of all believers, and I certainly subscribe to that. And when we come to confess alone or to another Christian, we can come with hopeful hearts. Because the one we are coming to waits for us like the father of the prodigal, running to welcome us. His greatest delight is to forgive. In fact, he calls a party in heaven for every sinner who repents. And the forgiveness is total. It's cast away. As far as the east is from the west, one of the Psalms tells us, so far 
has he removed our transgressions from us? Now, to be fair, when they wrote that, they didn't know that the world was round. But we get the point, don't we? It's gone. Distant, far away, banished. We're forgiven. We're washed clean. Okay, that's the end of the first section. The other two are much briefer. And the second section, as as it says up there, is how do we do it? How do we practically confess, particularly using another person to help us. Now, this is not my area of expertise, so I'm going to draw uh, very honestly from Richard Foster's classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, which I've got here, and which you're welcome to borrow if you'd like to um, over the next few weeks. So, he writes, a good confession, for a good confession, three things are needed. First, an examination of conscience, but unlike what we might think that is, which is allowing our conscience to speak to us. He says, no, that's not enough. Our conscience has been affected by the secular culture in which we live. Rather, an examination of conscience means inviting God to move upon our heart and show us areas that need his healing and forgiving touch. And here's the warning, or here's the the serious bit of this. We have to be prepared to deal with specific sins. A generalized confession may save us from humiliation and shame, but it brings no inner healing. It's too vague. And those specific sins include sins of the heart, whether that's pride, jealousy, anger, fear, as well as sins of the flesh, whether that's laziness, Greed, violence, sexual sin, whatever it might be. It includes the things we say, as the letter of James uh, urges us to tame our tongue and be aware of the danger of what we say, the sin of what we choose to say or not say to others. And the Bible actually provides an absolutely brilliant model prayer for allowing God to examine our conscience. You'll find it at the end of Psalm 139. Here it is on the screen. And why not just make this your prayer at the beginning of a process of confession? Why not pray this? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love that passage. I think of it as a kind of spiritual antivirus check. And what it does as well, it's not just about sin. It's about anxiety because so much anxiety is also tied up with things that we're fearing that we don't need to fear because we're not trusting God enough. That's why Jesus could say, seek first the kingdom and do not worry about these other things. Anxiety, guilt, they come together as we invite God to expose those things. And yet he does it not to make us feel worse, but so that he can set us free. So we invite God to reveal those things that we want to confess. Then we need this second thing. We need genuine sorrow, which is not so much an emotion as an abhorrence of having committed the sin. That is a deep regret of having offended the loving heart of God. If we don't feel that, again, we need to ask God for it. And when we get it, this is a sign that we are taking confession seriously as indeed we must. And the third thing we need for a good confession is a determination to avoid sin. We have to want to change. And to get it, we need to ask God to give us a yearning for holy living, 
and a hatred of unholy living. And if we don't desire it, as many of us won't at various times, we need, we need to pray to desire the desire. That's the first point. That's the opening place. If you don't even want to change, but you want to be someone who does want to change, ask for it. Get someone else to pray with you for that. And my testimony is when we seriously ask that and mean it, God shows up. He will give us that desire. He does. I think it was blind Bartimaeus, uh, as he was healed, said, Lord, help me believe. And God, when we ask him, will help us believe and he'll help us desire. And he'll help us to follow through on confession because he knows he is washing us clean. He knows he's setting us free. And he knows that's how we can walk into the joy and the peace. Enter that place of integrity. And enter that place where we shine brightly. So that those who are close to us and even some of those who aren't. Can't help but notice. And can't help but see what has been done in us, in our transformation, has been done by God. So that's what we need. And as you ponder all this, and I can sense the seriousness in the room, and that's right and proper, but remember this. It begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. There's celebration after confession because it results in a genuinely changed life. We've got nothing to fear from going forward from confession because it will be dealt with and the healing will come. So who should we go to? Someone mature, empathetic, someone with understanding, common sense, most certainly discretion, willing to keep a confidence. Someone who knows well that they too are sinners, only saved by grace. And if you can't think of anyone meeting that description, well, why don't you pray that God would reveal them to you. He knows he, who he would like you to have a spiritual conversation with. And actually, Richard Foster's testimony is when he did that for the first time, that opened up the ability of the person he chose to confess to, to confess back to him. Freedom begets freedom. He adds, by the way, that sense of humor is quite helpful as well. Actually, Yes, we take sin seriously, but we hold the whole process lightly because we know God is setting us free and we're all sinners together. We have a camaraderie. We have a fellowship. We are those who God has rescued and who is calling us to rescue others. Okay, I'm going to whiz through my first section and really just give you the headings because a lot of it's already been implied and I think you will know what the headings mean. Um, So, what are the benefits? For us as individuals, an end or at least a reduction in guilt and fear. Unconfessed sin weighs us down, but once it's dealt with, we, we set free, we feel free. And there's a joy and satisfaction 
of having integrity, authenticity, that confession can make a reality. There's a peace with God, but also a peace with each other. Because actually the reality Foster highlights in his book is that human beings are such that life together always involves them in hurting one another in some way. And that's without even trying. It just happens. And if we're realistic, we know that. And forgiveness is essential in a community of hurt and hurtful persons. And so confession can be particularly important when it's made to the person who has been sinned against, whether it's unintentional or not. And it can even be helpful when you've been hurt to sensitively, humbly come to that person and say, look, I just want you to know I was hurt by that. I forgive you. What a healing thing that is. And could we be people who are sufficiently humble to both hear that and give that? And to recognize that the whole community of Christians is worse off when there's an absence of reconciliation. And it's far better off when healing, restoration has come. My last church, I don't want to talk about it, but we got into a situation uh, where the church was divided into two halves. It was dreadful. So, so painful. But after the causes of that had moved on, We had someone called Russ Parker from the Acorn Healing Centre come and spend two whole evenings with us, bringing healing to those divisions, those wounds. And it was such an emotional, but such a positive, such a wonderful moment. It opened my eyes to the damage a community can do to each other, but also it opened my eyes to the wonderful sense of coming together that a spiritual process of reconciliation can bring. So, the benefits to us are obvious. The benefits to us as a church are obvious because we create a culture of confession where it becomes so much easier for other people to do so. And we become a church where we all know we're sinners saved by grace. So we've all got a gratitude rather than a grudging kind of, oh, here I am at church again, I've got to come. Rather, we're glad to be here because we're glad what Jesus has done for us. And it creates a church where people are real and have the freedom to stop pretending. And we become a church that not yet Christians are not intimidated to join. Because we're not pretending we're all perfect. And so that they don't think we're hypocrites. Actually, they know we are broken people. And as broken people themselves, they will feel safe journeying with us. And the good news for the world? Well, let me finish with the words of a song that we sang a little bit earlier. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a saviour, the hope of nations. Shine your light and let the whole world see. For if we live this out, That is exactly what the world needs to see and what it needs to hear from us. The light has come. The true light has come into the world. Will you let him shine light throughout your lives and allow his light to fully shine in you? We need to finish. But it would be ridiculous to finish a sermon on this subject without giving us an opportunity to confess Now, don't worry, this isn't to each other today. That can come in the future. 
at the moment that you choose. But we need to respond to God. We need to do what I've urged us to do in the psalm on the screen. So we need to, first of all, pray that prayer and see what God brings to mind. So I'm going to lead us through a little process now of, of confession, of absolution. And then that's going to lead into the peace and the communion as we uh, finish our response to what we've heard today. So, first of all, let's all say these words together. Then we're going to leave a minute, okay, just to listen to what God says to us. So go back to that psalm, if that's all right, Steve, the one before. There we go. Okay, we're going to read this. We're going to wait for a minute and see what God brings to mind. Then you've all been given a bit of paper and a pen. Then I want us all to write down whatever you feel God prompting us to confess. Okay? Now you can write that fully in a sentence or two. You can write it just with one word. Or you can write it in code if that makes you feel more comfortable. But it needs to be the thing that God brings to mind. Okay? We're practicing... We're practicing full disclosure to God. Okay, so if you haven't got a bit of paper, maybe someone next to you can tear theirs in half. If you haven't got a pen, maybe you can agree to share one. If you still haven't got access to one, perhaps you can uh, ask one of the stewarding team and they'll be able to get something to you. Okay, so I'm going to assume in five seconds you're good to go. Okay. So we're going to pray. Just a moment of silence and then we'll pray this prayer together. So come Holy Spirit, come into this time now we pray. Father, by your Spirit, fill us and meet with us we pray. Come Holy Spirit. And we pray together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay. So I want you now just to write whatever God brings to mind. And when you've done that, screw it up really tight and hold it in your hands.
So as people are finishing up, just sit with that now and just either allow God to continue to speak about what the implications of what you're confessing are and how you can live that out. Or start praying your own personal prayer of confession, praying those words on that paper, just for a moment. Okay, now we're going to pray a very brief prayer of confession, all of us together. As usual, you say the words in yellow. Uh, 